Amen. Amen. Well, um, you know, one of the most exciting things we can do in life of a church, the most exciting thing is see people saved. Amen. And then uh, right behind that is to see people baptized. Again, we had a baptism a couple of weeks ago, uh, had baptism today. And then next Sunday, we're going to uh, have a baptism as well. And so we're looking forward to that. Awesome to see our young folks getting saved and uh, God doing a work through them. And uh, But if you're here today and you haven't been baptized, you say, Brother Rusty, I'd like to be baptized next Sunday. Uh, you can come forward during the time of invitation this morning and say, hey, that's something that I want to do. Amen. And uh, uh, But if it doesn't work out for you Sunday, uh, it doesn't take long to fill up that baptistry. Amen. We, we can baptize you and we'd be more than more than happy to do that. Uh, with that in mind, I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. We're going to be looking at this morning. And I'm going to be talking this morning about church ordinances. Church ordinances. What in the world is a church ordinance? Maybe you don't maybe you never even heard that term, a church ordinance, and uh, maybe you've heard it and you don't have a clue what it is. What does that mean, a church ordinance? Well, churches have ordinances within them, and that is just simply specific things in which they do. Now, I don't want you to uh, mistake that. I know some of our folks have uh, some Catholic backgrounds, and so ordinances are not like uh, Catholic sacraments. Sacraments within the Catholic Church are to totally different uh, than ordinances in which we uh, participate in, because, uh, you know, in, in, in that, you know, you say, well, the Catholics, they, they have the baptisms and the communion, and they have, uh, you know, last rites and seven different things that they do that they uh, look at as church uh, sacraments, but the major difference between the two is that they look at those as uh, what they refer to in their own doctrine is adding to grace. Now I want you to understand something, you can't add to grace, amen? And so that is something that they look at that you need to participate in those things in order to be saved or in order to ensure your salvation. But the Bible is extraordinarily clear. There's only one way to be saved and that is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Baptism can't save you. Communion can't save you. Being a member of a church can't save you. Somebody reading you your last rites can't save you. None of those things can save you. Only you putting your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ can save you, period. The Bible is not only clear about that. The Bible is abundantly and redundantly clear about that where it tells us time and time and time again that it's not by works. It's through faith, by grace. Amen. Not by our own works, least any man should boast. In fact, that it, we are justified by faith and by faith alone. So the Word of God is very, very clear about those truths. And so as we look at the ordinances, and I want you to understand tonight, uh, today what an ordinance is. Well, what, what is a church ordinance? Well, an ordinance is basically, uh, it, it's a sacred time in the life of the church, and it's a formal time in the life of the church where it is an act of worship performed by the church and participated within the body of the church. And so that's what an ordinance is. It is a, a, a sacred and formal time. It's an act of worship. It's participated by the entire church. The whole church participates. And they say, well, we weren't all just baptized.
baptized just then, no, but we were all just witnesses of that, amen. And as we're going to see here, that those who were baptized are added to the number. And so when we begin to understand that, we, we ask ourselves, well then, what are the ordinances of the church? What are those sacred, holy times of the church, those formal times, those formal acts of worship that are performed by the church that the whole church then participates in? What are those things? What are those particular things? Now, there's debate on that. There's a lot of debate over that uh, when we begin to look at it. Some folks look at them and they see uh, six different ordinances. They say, there's, you know, the church has six ordinances. There, there's baptism. There's the Lord's Supper. There's the preaching of God's Word. There's the public reading of Scripture uh, within the church. There's prayer and there's singing. And no doubt, you know, just like I told you last week when I was preaching on the Lord's Day, what is the Lord's Day? And the Bible tells us to assemble together. And there's a very specific reason of why we need to assemble together on Sundays because Saturday is the Sabbath day and Sunday is the Lord's Day. And that is the day that we recognize as being the Lord's Day, the day Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave. And we gathered together for the specific purpose of recognizing that. But as I also told you, not only does the Bible give us very specific instructions to assemble together, but the Bible also gives us a lot of instructions of the things in which we do while we're assembled together. And we baptize and we do the Lord's Supper and we preach the Word of God. The Bible instructs us to publicly read the Word of God. The Bible tells us to pray when we're publicly gathered together. And the Bible tells us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Amen. So we're to sing together. So the Word of God instructs us to do those things. In fact, the Word of God instructs us to do many things. And so for some, uh, for some they would include these six uh, things as the Word of God very clearly instructs the church to do as ordinances. Now some only look at three different ordinances within, uh, within the church body, within the church, and they'll say baptism, the Lord's Supper, and so here we're seeing a pattern. Well, baptism is definitely included in all of these, and the Lord's Supper is definitely included in these. But then they would add a third, and the third being foot washing, which is different from the sixth, uh, which the other group, they, they would say that foot washing is in, involved in that. But I personally believe, and we for the most part believe as a church, that... Um, that foot washing is not one of the church ordinances. And I believe that there's two church ordinances. And I believe that that is baptism. And I believe that that is the Lord's Supper. Now, now we're not saying that people that believe there's other ordinances other than that, that they're, not, they're, they're a bunch of quacky kooks and they're a bunch of heretics and all of that stuff. No, they're not. Matter of fact, many of them are very solid people. Now, unless they start adding that, you, you know, you have to be saved in order to uh, you know to, to do these things you have to be saved and um, you know or, or by doing these things rather uh, that, that uh, these things save you then that is not just a quacky kook that is a heretic amen but there's many uh, very credible people that believe this and so we're not putting down on them uh, on this we're just saying we just so happen to disagree amen we disagree on this and so as we look at the word of God we begin to ask ourselves well then what would then be the qualified 
qualifier of a church ordinance? What would qualify a church ordinance as being a church ordinance? Well, first thing is that they have to be commanded by Jesus. Amen. Jesus had to have made that command that this is what we do. Now, obviously, Jesus commanded uh, to be baptized. We find that in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said, Go ye therefore in all of the nations, baptizing them uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so, why do we baptize? Well, mainly because Jesus said to baptize. Amen. Now, there is a specific purpose of why we baptize, and we'll talk about uh, that in just a minute. But Jesus commanded us to be baptized, therefore we're baptized, and we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, exactly as Jesus commanded. Well, how do we do the Lord's Supper? Well, Jesus told us to do the Lord's Supper. Amen. Jesus did that the Last Supper with His disciples, and we see one of those examples in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20, and we find there Jesus with the Jesus with his disciples, he took the bread, he broke the bread, he said, this is my body, bless the bread, he distributed the bread, he then took the cup, and he said, in this cup is my blood, which is the new covenant, and he thanked God for it, he blessed it, and they distributed it out, and there, after they did that, uh, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, right? So Jesus then gave a command to say, do this in remembrance of me on our Lord's Supper table right in the very front of it we say it's written in remembrance of me amen and so when we look at that and begin to understand these are two very clear commands from Jesus Christ that we uh, that that we fulfill now when we look at the others you know you look at foot washing for instance in John chapter 13 during the Lord's Supper Jesus did wash the feet of the disciples and Jesus did tell them just as I've done you do also right and so you say well that, then that's a, one of the qualifiers then well why then, why don't we participate in that we'll talk about that more in just a little uh, a little while but then when you look at preaching did Jesus command to preach he did he said go into all of the world and uh, you know preach the gospel all to all of creation uh, did did he uh, tell us to read the word of God we don't find that specifically uh, within scripture but Jesus did uh, tell us that, you know, uh, he, he said uh, within uh, the Word of God, he told us that, you know, that the Word of God is bread to us. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Amen? But did he specifically say that we need to have public reading of God's Word? No, He didn't, although we do find that very specific teaching within the uh, epistles. Uh, do we find a call of Jesus, of Jesus commanding us to pray? Absolutely. Jesus told us many times that we need to pray. But we also find in here that you know we could pray on our own. Amen? In fact, we could preach the Gospel... To the, and we can read Scripture on our own, and should, by the way. And we could preach the gospel apart from the church, just as Stephen preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin, he preached the gospel to them, just as Paul went to Mars Hill, and he preached the gospel to the pagans there on Mars Hill, amen? Preached to them about an unknown God, 
We find Philip there in Samaria and he's preaching the gospel. The lost Samaritans, the Samaritans and there he is. We find Paul going out into the mission field and preaching the gospel out in the mission fields. Not two churches, but what's to become a church. Amen? Starting missions there. And so we find that those things can be done apart from the church and should be done. Apart from the church. Now ultimately everything we do is ultimately connected to the church. But if we don't have a private worship life, we're not going to have much of a public worship life either. Amen? So some of those things can absolutely be done apart from the church as well. But Jesus did command any of these things. He didn't command all of them, but He commanded many of those things. And so there comes the second part that needs to be practiced by the church. Well, we do find in the Word of God, it, it, apart from the Gospels, we do find in the Word of God, we find the Word of God, uh, it, we, we find them preaching the Word of God, we find them publicly reading Scripture within the Word of God, we find the church participating in group prayer time, amen, Acts chapter 4, they all gathered together and prayed to the point where the foundation beneath them began to shake, amen, many times we find them praying together we find them singing together even Paul and Silas when they were in that Philippian jail we find them doing those things and we find them participating in those things but many of those things don't meet the first qualifier because again they can be done on them all on their own now one thing we don't find that's interesting, we don't find the church ever participating together. There is this one text of Scripture is that in 1 Timothy chapter 5 when it's talking about uh, the, uh, the widows and when the Word of God is talking about the widows there, there, it lists many good deeds that the widows need to be doing and many good deeds that the widows need to be participating in. And one of those good deeds is washing the feet of the saints. Right, And so if we look at that, we say, well, is that something that necessarily took place within, uh, within the life of the church? Does that then qualify as a church ordinance? Because if you qualify that as a church ordinance, then shouldn't you then have to qualify all of the rest of the things that they list that the, that the uh, widows are doing as uh, church ordinances as well? But something interesting is that you don't ever find anywhere else other than Jesus washing the feet of the disciples you don't find that done even though Jesus said do like I did you don't find it practiced within the life of the church anywhere in the book of Acts or in any of the epistles so that, for that reason I don't believe that it qualifies as a church ordinance again others very godly people great people love the Lord Jesus Christ we just have to come to a point of agreeing to disagree on that particular subject I've got family members that wholeheartedly believe it. I love them. I think they're saved. I think they're godly. I think they're going to heaven. Amen. But we just agree to disagree on that particular subject. In fact, we just don't talk about it. Amen. <laughs> so as we look at this, the third qualifier, I believe that it needs to be a symbolic reenactment of the gospel. A symbolic reenactment of the gospel. 
And so when you look at that, when you preach God's Word, certainly it needs to be revolved around the Gospel. When we read Scripture, it certainly needs to be revolved around the Gospel. When you pray, it certainly it's because you're saved, right? When, when, you, uh, when you sing, you ought to, you know, we just sang the Gospel just a little while ago, amen? And so when we sing, certainly uh, we sing the Gospel, but is that the case every time? No, it's not the case every time. But when we look at baptism, friends, baptism is an exact symbolic reenactment of the gospel because what does the, what, what does the uh, baptism represent? When you look there in Romans chapter 6, you find it very clearly that you have died to the old self and that you have buried the old self and then you've come up. Just as I baptize folks, every single time I baptize somebody, I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus told us to do in in Matthew chapter 28. Buried with Him in the likeness of His death, raised to walk in the newness of life. Where does that come from? Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, quoting that verse just about exactly word for word. And so that's what baptism is all about. It doesn't actually do it, but it symbolizes that. And it is a reenactment of what has already happened within the life of the individual that they have died to the old old self and they have come alive to the new self. But we also see that within the Lord's Supper. And so as we see that within the Lord's Supper, there we are, here we are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, we know that from the Gospels there, Jesus took the bread. He said, this is my body which is given for you. He took the cup. He said, in this cup is the blood which is the new covenant. And He gave it to them. And so here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 16, we find here the Apostle Paul uh, says something pretty interesting right here as we uh, begin to look at this. He says right here in verse uh, 16, he says, uh, he says, is not the cup of blessing which we bless sharing in the blood of Christ and is not the bread which, which, we, uh, which we break as sharing in the body of Christ? So what is he doing? He's doing the, what is he speaking of? He's speaking of the exact same thing that Jesus spoke of, that Jesus shared. And so as we look at this, look over at chapter 11 and verse 23 in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says right here, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus is... Uh, in the, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had had uh, given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." Was Paul saying, I- "I'm giving you this word right here. It's not my word, but it's the word that I have received from Jesus Christ." So what is that? That is the first qualifier right there. And the very first qualifier is that Jesus commanded it. Amen? Jesus commanded it. Jesus gave the word. Jesus said, this is what you need to be doing. He said, do this for a very specific reason. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Then we find the second qualifier. 1 Corinthians is obviously not in the Gospels, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has taken place. Jesus has ascended to be at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Pentecost has come. The church is now formed. The church is now gathered. The church is now operating. Now the Apostle Paul is giving very specific things of what you do when you assemble together as the church. And what is one of those things? It is the Lord's Supper, right? And now he's saying there's a right way to do the Lord's Supper and there's a wrong way to do the Lord's Supper. And now he is giving these instructions because obviously it's something that the church itself is participating in. In fact, it's something that the church participated in from the very beginning. It participated in baptism and the Lord's Supper from the very beginning. In Acts chapter 2, what do we find in verse 41? It says, So then those who had received His Word, in other words, they were saved, right? And those who had received His Word were baptized, and that day they were added to the number. What happened? They were baptized. They were saved when they received the Word of God. They were saved when they repented, and they trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So immediately they were baptized, and what happened? They were added to the number. Added to the number of what? Added to the number of believers. What's the number of believers? It is the assembly. It is the ecclesia. It is the church. Amen? They were added to the church when they were baptized. And then what did they do? Verse 42, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All those first six are in there, right? That we talked about. But as we look at this, it specifically says the breaking of bread. Say, well, they're eating together. Is that all that they were doing? It says there in verse 44, the same chapter says, And those who had believed were gathered together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all with one another as anyone might, uh, might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. So there is a breaking of bread together, and then there is a day-by-day -day sharing of meals together. And as we looked at last week in Acts chapter 20, what were they doing when they gathered together on what day? The first day of the week, they were breaking bread together. What did Jesus do? He took the bread, He broke it, and then He distributed it. They were participating in communion. Amen? And so we see very clearly that that's what the very first church did. And now in the church of Corinth, they're continuing to do this. Now, they kind of got things messed up, seeing like the church of Corinth was kind of good at getting things messed up. <laughs> Amen. And Paul had to write them this letter and correct them for some of the things in which they were doing. But now as we look here in the Word of God, and we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16, Paul talks about the cup of blessing which 
we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ, it's about the gospel. It is the blood of Christ, but we come together and there's a sharing in the blood of Christ. It's not the bread which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ. There's a sharing in the blood of Christ, in the cup. There's a sharing in the body of Christ. Verse 17, since there's one bread, who we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When they're baptized, they're added to the number. When the church gathers together for the purpose of communion, there's a sharing. You've got to do this together. It's a community. A, com- a community of what? It's a community of gathered believers that because Jesus Christ gave His body and because Jesus Christ shed His blood and He gave that offering to where you and I could then have the opportunity to by faith accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, be saved. And then after we're saved, then we have the joy and blessing of being a member of the church. And then once we have the joy and blessing of being a member of the church, then we can gather together for for many different occasions, but we can specifically gather together on the first day of the week, which is the Lord's day, which is the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But then we can also gather together for a very special time of that sharing, that sharing as we're doing in remembrance of what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us to save us from our sins, that He gave up His body to be broken for us and He shed His blood, which is then a new covenant for us, that when we accept Jesus Christ by faith, we then are saved because of what Jesus has done. Not because I've been baptized, not because I've participated in communion, not because I'm a member of a church, not because I've done anything else, because I deserve damnation because of my sins. but because of what Jesus has done, and then we can come together and celebrate salvation through believers' baptism, a recognition, a recognition of what God has done in the life of a believer, but then also a recognition of, you know what, I am now responsible for two more young folks, and it doesn't matter if they're old folks, but I as a member of the church am now responsible for them to help walk alongside them, to help teach them, to help grow them, to help them become the man and woman that God wants them to be. We have that special time of communion where we come together, Lord's Supper, where there is a sharing in the bread and there is a sharing in the cup where we come together as one body in Christ 
and we share together in remembrance that we're here for a reason because of Jesus. Amen? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross of Calvary, gave up his body. He shed his blood. Apart from the shedding of blood, there'd be no remission of sin. And he who knew no sin became sin for you, for me, to save our wretched souls. Amen? Paul also goes on there in 1 Corinthians and he said that we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves before we partake in the Lord's Supper. Very specific, talking about the Lord's Supper there. We need to examine ourselves. Friends, if you have unrepented, unconfessed sin within your life, you don't need to partake of the Lord's Supper. Amen? You don't need to do it. If you're not saved, you certainly don't need to do it. You, how can you partake? And what symbolizes salvation if you're not saved? One of the reasons I wanted to do baptism first today because I wanted these two young folks to be saved, Blake and Lily. wanted them, uh, not saved, but I wanted them to be baptized because if you haven't been baptized yet, you don't need to partake of it. You need to examine yourself. So this morning, if you have those unconfessed, unrepentant of sins in your life, would you do business with the Lord today and get that out of your life? Get it out. Ask God to forgive you this morning. Today, if you're not saved, you're not born again. You're not bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That means that you died to you and you came alive to Jesus. That's never happened. If you've never been saved, would you today receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith? By faith. Yet if you haven't been baptized, Make a commitment today to be baptized. Make a commitment. Again, we're going to have baptism next week, so I can't be here next week or whatever. Then, hey, we could baptize you another time. It don't take long to fill up that baptistry. I could fill it up on a Sunday morning. You're going to be baptized in cold water, but I could fill it, I could fill it up. Amen. It don't take long to fill it up. I just need to hear from you, Brother Rusty. I won't be baptized. Amen? Anything else on your heart or mind this morning before we partake in this Lord's Supper? You do business with the Lord this morning. In fact, Paul said some who haven't taken it serious have become ill. Some experience death. This is a serious thing. Amen? And we need to be serious. So as God's stirring with your heart this morning, you come as the praise team makes their way on up there here this morning.
as you stand, you come as God deals with your heart. Are you saved? I'm confused. Well, let's start talking about it. Let's start praying about it. Amen? Let's get that confusion out and have assurance. All right, now, as God's speaking to your heart, you come. I'm here. This altar's open. You come.